Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park My number one album. Big shocker to me. Also folklore. Whoa. Are you ready to dive into all things Taylor Swift? Good for a weekend is the ultimate podcast for any Swifty. With new episodes dropping bi-monthly, as well as bonus episodes to give you real-time reactions to the latest rumors and news, it's your one-stop shop for all things T-Swift. We also love connecting with our fellow Weekenders, so be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and or Discord to share all your Taylor thoughts. Good for a weekend is available wherever you get your podcasts. I know. Of just is that like it's a perfect album hey there if you're into music and if you're listening to my show i know you are i've got a podcast for you to check out gig gab labeled as the show for working musicians is a fascinating and entertaining look behind the scenes at what it takes to put a live band on stage hosted by two longtime friends and podcasters and musicians dave hamilton and paul kent discuss everything from booking the gigs getting paid and working with the crowd to prepping the band, learning the material, and managing the personalities involved. And while the show is said to be for musicians, a surprisingly sizable chunk of their audience are music fans who just love hearing about how the sausage is made. So if you're a fan of live music, playing it or watching it be played, be sure to check out Gig Gab at giggabpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to The Spark Parade, a show where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks so much for joining me. My guest today is film director Richard Leeds, who spoke to me about his spark, Robert Altman's classic film adaptation of Raymond Chandler's novel, The Long Goodbye. Uh, this was a real treat for me because, first of all, I am a Robert Altman super fan. Also because, uh, it's always fun to talk to filmmakers about the films that have influenced them, isn't it? So, let's dig right in. Quick Richard facts. Richard C. Leeds, PhD, is a film director whose work includes Fred Won't Move Out, starring Elliot Gould, The Caller, starring Frank Langella and Elliot Gould, Foreclosure, starring Michael Imperioli, and A Hole-in-One, starring Michelle Williams and Meatloaf. His latest film, Adieu Lacan, portrays the struggles of a young woman who is trying to understand why her path to motherhood has reached an unbearable impasse. Following two miscarriages and the possible loss of her marriage, she travels to Paris in 1972 to undergo psychoanalytic treatment with the maverick French analyst Jacques Lacan. It stars David Patrick Kelly, who you may recognize from Twin Peaks, and Ismenia Mendez. It will be released on video on demand on May 10th, 
and it will be available on platforms including iTunes, Amazon, and Vimeo. A uh, quick long goodbye facts. The Long Goodbye is a 1973 American neo-noir satirical mystery crime thriller film directed by Robert Altman and based on Raymond Chandler's 1953 novel. The film stars Elliot Gould as Raymond Chandler's famed detective Philip Marlowe. The story's period was moved from 1949 to 1950 through to 1970s Hollywood. The Long Goodbye has been described as a study of a moral and decent man cast adrift in a selfish, self-obsessed society where lives can be thrown away without a backward glance, and any notions of friendship and loyalty are meaningless. In 2021, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And there you have it. Now, all that's left to do is... Listen to the frickin' interview, right? Let's go! Here comes my chat with Richard Leeds about the long goodbye. Do you remember seeing this film for the first time? I saw it in a small cinema on the left bank in Paris. I had a friend uh, who was uh, American living here and was kind of uh, taking me around to uh, uh, left bank cinemas that showed uh, old films, um, and uh, it wasn't. It was just it been out a few years then, uh, but um, still, it was playing in one of these uh, revival uh, film uh, cinemas that you know, Paris is famous for, and where I really got my education in film. Uh, Paris really was my film school in many ways. Um, and, and neither of us could speak any French. So, uh, yeah, we were seeing mainly American films. And, of course, uh, Parisians love American films. So, uh, you know, we had a, we had a great uh, variety of great American films to choose from. Uh, and uh, this, this was one of them. Um, and uh, um, you know, many years later, I met uh, Elliot, uh, and uh, I've worked with Elliot in two films. Hmm. Working with Elliot really uh, transformed uh, my way of filmmaking, you know, just the way uh, he can improvise and ad-lib. Mm-hmm. And, um, in the first film I did with him, which was also co-starring Frank Langella, mm. uh, the caller. We really didn't do that. Um, there was just one moment where I said, well, ad lib a few lines, will you? And they started going on and I realized, wow, you know, Elliot really is an amazing ability to just kind of begin to uh, uh, evolve a character. And then the next film I did with him uh, was uh, all... I mean, I would come, I called him up and I, I said, I had this idea for a film and, uh, you know, he said, well, send me something. I said, well, I thought I would just, you know, because you got to send me something. <laughs> so, uh, so I sent him seven pages and he said, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then uh, we worked for three weeks and each week I would um, write that, what we'd be shooting that week. And, um, it was with also Fred Melamed and uh, just just a great uh, experience. We shot uh, sequentially. I mean, that was another thing Robert Altman did 
which is very rare. Uh, Antonioni is another filmmaker who did this uh, on a regular basis, which is to shoot sequentially. Mm-hmm. And that really, you know, I think, you know, I was thinking about why I would choose to speak about this film. And, you know, it, I think it's because I've always been so interested in the classics and uh, in many different uh, um, areas. But, uh, you know, the classics come at a cost or they come with a risk. The risk is, is that you can't break free of them or you don't know. Um, they they hold you prisoner in some way. And I think one of the, I mean, this is a film you know, which is based on, uh, you know, of course, uh, Raymond Chandler's novel. Uh, the screenplay was uh, uh, Lee Brackett, one of the you know great, had written The Big Sleep. Um, so it's just chock full of reasons to kind of be uh, precious about it or, 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 faithful to it in some way. And Altman doesn't do that at all. You know, he really uh, goes for broke. Um, It it really, and I think shooting in sequence uh, really helps him to do that, helps him to be able to, you know, Godard said that every film, whether it's a fiction film or documentary, there's a way in which it's a documentary. It documents the, uh, the moment of shooting. And and Altman is very aware of that. He really uh, puts uh, in front of everything else the act of filmmaking, the moment of of shooting, and uh, so shooting in sequence allowed them to develop uh, qualities of the music. Elliot Gould uh, comes up with a few refrains that he's then able to uh, to work into the film. Um, so I I think definitely. Um, Altman is someone who, through Elliot, I feel some profound connection to. Um, and then uh, also this approach to uh, improvising, which I was able to work with Elliot doing this uh, when we did a film, Fred Won't Move Out. And uh, you know, I think has really stayed with me and in terms of this uh, film, Adieu Lacan, which was uh, shot, we were able to shoot it sequentially. Hmm. Um, and um, again, I think shooting sequentially, and again, this was a big, you know, it's not the big sleep, it's not Raymond Chandler, but Jacques Lacan, this famous French psychoanalyst, and how do you do this correctly? And, you know, again, it brings up all kinds of, uh, concerns that you're going to kind of uh, make the wrong move and uh, working again sequentially um, having uh, Altman somewhere uh, in the back of my mind and uh, just kind of going for broke and, and, and really feeling the rhythm of the film as you're making it mm-hmm. and allowing the actors to kind of invent things along the line is a, is a way that, you know, again, Altman never uh, was was held in check by having this, you know, just tremendous uh, uh, history of, of uh, filmmaking uh, and Chandler there and could just kind of make it, make it new in a way. And so uh, right. this film, I think, is a touchstone for me in that way. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's... 
so much stuff there, but I, I think Altman, um, that, and may I say thank you for the opportunity, um, f- to talk about him because in the two and a half years that I've been doing this show, no one has ever brought me a Robert Altman film and I love his work. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I, I think, uh, with this particular film, the way that it's adapted to me feels like, uh, I don't know, a, a painter painting a tree saying, this is what a tree looks like, but I don't, it doesn't need to be a little literal representation. It doesn't need to be a direct copy. It's my interpretation right. of what that is. And, um, it's, it's Altman saying, I'm interested in this story, but I want to make it contemporary. I also don't want to, you know, I, I the, detective genre had become a a cliche. It was overused. There was, you know, way too, there were way too many more uh, examples of um, other people rehashing those same tropes, especially when it came to uh, Chandler's influence on the genre Um, and saying, I want to use the bones of this story and make it my own and put my own stamp on it, but also make it relevant to the world that we live in now. And his particular brand of storytelling where it's, you know, working with these ensembles infused with improvisation um, and working with actors who were skilled at improvisation. So it didn't feel like floundering. It wasn't like really searching for a way to carry the scene forward without having, you know, a, a foundation of dialogue necessarily for each scene. And like you said, somebody like Elliot Gould, who's, you know, not a, a perhaps the most conventional choice to play um, the, the character, just really, again, making it his own, having this interpretation that's not what anybody would have expected, but still feels totally natural and right. And all of those elements just, you know, making this something that it definitely feels like a an adaptation of a Chandler novel, but also feels very much like an Altman movie. Um, and that balance is, you know, could, could easily go wrong, but it's handled so delicately and so perfectly. Yes. You know, the, um, the, uh, the feeling for the time, the atmosphere, you know, the way he's in the beginning um, with his cat, uh, Marlo, the detective, by by Gould goes up to get his cat cat food. You know, and it's it's the one act of fidelity in a film which is so much about uh, infidelity in, in so many ways. And but it's really kind of picks up on the on the just ambience the, uh, of the time, the feeling of the time, which he really does uh, make uh, forefront in the film. And, and again, shooting it. In, I mean, it's it's a noir film shot in color, in a very kind of shooting from the shoulder, very contemporary feeling to it. But as you say, it's also got this structure. The actors are just so polished in their. I mean, Sterling Hayden too. You know, again, it's an improvised uh, the, uh, as the alcoholic uh, writer, mm-hmm. uh, but. But again, drawing on his own inner inner uh, demons, uh, it's such a such a strong role. And so each of each of the characters uh, drawing upon that actor's own background and abilities, 
Um, and then the, and the music the, mm. that they kind of just keeps that wonderful one single song. So again, you have this kind of what could uh, collapse into chaos, but this one song that keeps coming up in different ways, the doorbell, you know, it's played on the piano, the, the, the Mexican marching band, uh, you know, it just keeps, so, so it's like one song that just kind of like a string that runs through the whole thing so finely and, and kind of pulls it together. Um, it's, a, it's a brilliant use uh, of, of, of that musical theme and such. Yeah. And also just uh, the subtlety. I mean, sometimes it's more overt, but sometimes it's like, you, you know, someone is walking through and humming the, the that song yeah. or, you know, um, and all of the different interpretations, as you said, like the uh, different musical forms that are used and um, just as like a little reminder of, um, you know, the, the story unfolding in a film where so much of the acting is really naturalistic as yeah. is typical with Altman films. The plot points are hit, but it's not, you know, banging you over the head with it. It feels like a, a real conversation and the way that information would be um, revealed in a conversation between two people instead of a script where it's like, here is the goal of the scene. That's what we're building towards. Right. And the rest of the conversation doesn't matter. And also a lot of times I've, I think with Altman, there's this kind of languid pacing that doesn't feel slow. It doesn't feel, um, you know, it's not like your patience is being tried, but everything feels e even the most mundane things feel important. And it's not just in the dialogue, it's in the framing, you know, having, um, your, your eye, uh, attracted to different things in the background, having the, the women who are doing naked yoga behind oh, yeah. the window and, you know, just seeing that every aspect of, what you're looking at is trying to draw your attention and giving this full um, picture of the world around these people, even if it's not relevant to the conversation. It's like, this is what the world is like when you are having a conversation with someone, there's still stuff happening around you. The rest of the world doesn't stop. Yes. It, it's, you know, the, the, again, it reminds me of uh, having just made this film you know, about Lacan. So psychoanalysis, but the way in the dream, the smallest detail might be the most important. And, uh, you know, Altman really does kind of float with the attention. It's very much about, at the same time, what's happening on the edges, what else is happening on, in the frame. You know, it's, it's, it's never just reduced to uh, something that's been figured out beforehand in terms of the, uh, as the main action. But it, it's really looking at uh, action uh, in, a, in a very different way, as kind of, of uh, showing a kind of chaotic world out of which certain uh, themes come to the fore, but other ones uh, grab your attention and, uh, and you see a kind of other way of, of looking at, at, the, uh, at the world as he sees it in, in the film. Um, so it's it's uh, uh, and of course also some of the the smaller just uh, performances are, are you know really interesting. Mm. Uh, 
So it's, uh, um, yeah, I think it's a real touchstone. I, I love, you know, Altman is someone uh, whose work uh, uh, was has always been very important to me. And this film, again, in particular, of course, the other famous film that Elliot did uh, uh, with Altman was, uh, well, he did a few, well, Nashville, but he makes a small appearance there. And MASH was is certainly the most famous. But, you know, again, he was always um, kind of uh, interested in the performance of, and, and saw the uh, screenplay as a uh, something to be transgressed, really. Uh, mm-hmm. Something that uh, was, you, you were using it as a tool, but you shouldn't, uh, privilege it you know i mean i think the way in which a screenplay is often referred to as you know as a, as the property mm-hmm. and so it, it it's you know and it can represent a kind of insurance the idea well we've got this screenplay and it's by this important person and so the money is insured mm-hmm. and you know that was now Alvin couldn't care less about that <laughs> you know, so he was just so there's an ethic or an anti-ethic, or there's a kind of uh, uh, em- embrace of the chaotic uh, a countercultural time uh, in which he's working uh, mm-hmm. that comes across. And these actors who can just work and improvise from the, from the few things they'll remember from the script uh, was something uh, he knew how to make the most out of. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, coming at a time when if if people thought of uh, a, a film adaptation of a Chandler novel, it was like the big sleep, you know, the this very traditional noir I mean, that kind of set the standard. Um, but repeating that was obviously not something that fit into Altman's <laughs> style or work ethic, but also right. – 
really being able to interpret that work in a new way. And that's what made it interesting. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be interesting if that was, you know, that the same tropes were repeated. They called um, uh, Marlowe, um, Altman and uh, Elliot's way of talking with the, that he was kind of like Rip Van Winkle. Mm-hmm. Woken up in this completely uh, transformed world. And um, so it's it, which is an interesting way to deal with tradition and uh, you know uh, Eliot's character Marlowe is so completely lost. I mean that's what also makes him so unlike uh, the d- detective you would otherwise imagine. He, he's kind of uh, uh, lost and vulnerable and. Uh, just trying to uh, figure things out in a very kind of improvised way as he goes along in this story. Yeah. And like I've read um, that Altman's description of uh, the the way that he viewed the character was that he wanted him to be a loser. And he, you know, having this kind of schlubby guy who's living in this messy apartment and, you know, there's nothing glamorous about his life and even the way he investigates things. It's not, there's no real, you don't feel urgency, even though he's investigating stuff that's, you know, personal to him. It's about his friend who he thinks is dead. Um, but, uh, that kind of shifting of the way the character is presented. And I was also thinking about that scene at the beach where, um, uh, the, I can't remember the character's name, but the alcoholic, the, um, kind of Hemingway esque, and he's invited inside for a drink and the guy's like, take your tie off, you know, relax. And he's like, I'll have a drink, but I'm not taking my tie off. So even in this kind of, uh, reinvention of the character, there's still this adherence to, you know, even though he seems a little bit more laid back and relaxed, he's serious about the work that he's doing and he keeps yes. this uniform on that, you know, really wants to maintain some kind of work ethic throughout his investigations. Yeah, which it's which is so interesting because it's it it really keeps him going. I mean, he's so he is kind of a, a loser character and definitely um is not the one who knows he's the one who's is completely lost and only in the end kind of um finds out what's going on but so, and and this story uh, or this holding on to his profession as a kind of something which is out of time in a way um and which uh, really connects him to the past uh is is definitely um uh, something which Elliot is is able to uh, embody uh, in the way I think is also speaks and really stayed with Elliot and I think stayed with his with his work and from his experience working with Altman. Yeah, yeah, and just that idea of this collaboration between this incredible director and incredible actors, throwing in a lot of improvisation and reimagining the story, but still keeping the bones of that story and wanting to have the spirit of it there. And I think that's a really important thing as well when directors are adapting work is to remember that film and literature are two separate media 
and um it, you know some uh, adaptation film adaptations of books have been very successful having a more literal interpretation but i was thinking um in in while i was uh, preparing for this the comparison to like inherent vice you know paul thomas anderson is obviously very influenced by altman but inherent vice took you know a much weirder novel that's you know denser and hard to pen- harder to penetrate and kind of brought that spirit to the film and did a much more literal translation of this very weird very impenetrable novel um i mean even though that's one of the more uh accessible novels that that thomas pynchon wrote but that's you know not right. saying much um, That's not saying much at all. Yeah. And in this <laughs> this way, it was like Altman did exactly the opposite of that, where he said the thing that makes the, the idea of adapting this book interesting to me is that I'm going to do it my own way and that I'm not just going to do a carbon copy of the novel. It's going to be, again, having the spine of my film be yes. the, the story, the spirit of this novel, but not – um, just directly translating it, making it a period piece, all of those kinds of things that it was, it was a really important part of what made the film successful was, uh, putting his own stamp on it and bringing it into, um, a different world and having a different spin on the character, the story, all of those things. Yeah. I think it's, you know, this is when we speak about translation, I mean, one of the things you, the tension is between being faithful and being it's been said that, uh, and I know this is uh, sexist, but but it's an interesting statement that uh, translations are like women. The, the faithful ones aren't beautiful and the beautiful ones aren't faithful, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, sexist and we should, you know, reject it for that. But nevertheless, this this tension you have in translating between being faithful to something mm-hmm. sometimes and to making something that's aesthetically beautiful and um, Altman really, again, is able to make a film uh, that I think picks up on the darkness, if you, you know, the darkness of noir in a different way. That has mm-hmm. nothing that's completely true about the 70s. You know, he's looking at L.A. at a particular moment after the 60s um, in this moment of uh, of uh, what's been called uh, re- repressive desublimation where everyone there's kind of just the it's flower power there's a kind of uh uh, free love uh um atmosphere time and and finds the you know that in fact lurking behind that uh are these relationships of of power of course there's incredible there's one scene of incredible violence against uh, mm. this woman character um so that uh lurking behind this uh time which is kind of embraces a very uh optimistic view of human nature um nevertheless uh there are still these dynamics going on of of aggression and violence where uh, you know the only trace of of uh, uh, or the feelings he expresses for his cat are among the warmest in the film, and yet it's not a at all a mean spirited film. At the same right. time, it's very, very playful. It's it's not an overly 
dark film, uh, despite if you describe its stories in some ways it can feel that way. But the, the way, again, how he uses humor and music. Um, and, and of course, we recognize uh, the, 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 he worked with an ensemble. I think that's another thing is you really feel that these are people who he knows in a certain way. You know, he's not in a way the the filmmaking is, is another character. You know, it's really uh, that the actors are people that he really has a kind of relationship to, which is uh, as a, uh, it's a real feeling of solidarity and that he's going to give them an opportunity to, to work in a way that really is enjoyable to them. And that we, and we enjoy the pleasure they take in their performances, you know, that they're really able to kind of um, make it up and really play in a way um, that they may not get to do in many with, with other films they're working on. Um, so, uh, so there's a there's an enjoyment, there's a pleasure, um, uh, and a wittiness and a, a humor about it that you know keeps it keeps it light and uh, uh, stimulating in a way um, that doesn't get taken away by the by the darkness that nevertheless is there and was there in uh, in Chandler's work, right. And, you know, I'm just thinking about the idea of filmmakers being storytellers and thinking of that in more literal terms, that if Robert Altman were telling you this story, speaking it to you, trying to give you a synopsis, how, how would he interpret that story and what would his uh, version of that be? And that's very much what this feels like. It's like not having this dour um, you know, people lurking in the shadows and lots of smoke and in black and white. It's very colorful, very vibrant. And, uh, like you said, there's like satire and humor and levity. It does, there's nothing about it that feels, um, heavy, even in the most violent moments. Uh, the, there's flashes of violence and then the tone still resets to something that feels lighter and, kind of diffuses the tension from those moments quite quickly. And yeah, I think it's, it's just a, a fascinating way to tell that kind of story. Yeah. A, a great, great film uh, by a great filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fantastic. And it uh, makes me want to rewatch all of his films, um, which, you know, this is the first time that I've watched one of his films in a long time. So, um, Oh, it's good. I'm so glad to, uh, uh, be uh have brought up all that makes me even uh more uh happy that i brought uh altman up because i think he is a, a really uh important filmmaker mm. uh, that made films at a particular time in a um in a contemporary or modern american history during the vietnam war uh when there was a lot of uh, darkness at the same time as there was this uh, kind of optimism and uh, very uh, a particular feeling about the hum human spirit and such. Mm -hmm. And he was able to, I think, navigate that um, in a way that um, 
has a has a real ethic about it, which which is partly about this improvisational spirit, um, and and that is a kind of. I mean, as you were describing the feeling of the film, I thought to myself, you know, that's also kind of a way he he approaches it, or he suggests we approach it, uh, is with a sense of of looking for the details, not only looking for what it's reduced might be reduced to mm-hmm. and to really uh celebrate the uh what what film can do in uh as, and even more so now with uh, video its ability to kind of capture a moment you know the, the the sense of carpe diem that he really um celebrates in his film and uh, as a way of uh of um dealing with this these darker uh qualities which is you know again it comes from chandler it's more it's more the structure it's like a it's like a death drive almost mm. and and on top of that he's able to again uh show uh human life uh these performances triumphing and uh transmitting to us as an audience you know something which is uh joyful and uh and uh, experimenting and discovering new things um despite uh what they what has to be uh, in some way acknowledged and addressed and drives the story forward right and that kind of there's this joy to all of Altman's work that you yes. feel his passion for filmmaking. And you know, he did not give a fuck what other people thought about what he was making. He was making it because it was what he wanted to make and he thought it was good. And whether anybody else thought it was good was irrelevant. Um, so that feeling of it, it's so exciting to me that no matter what the subject matter is, you know, he was someone who wanted to try, you know, telling stories in different genres and um, always seemed to keep moving forward, didn't want to repeat himself. But to me, the through line is that clear uh, joy, the clear love of cinema and, um, you know, wanting to use that medium to tell tons of different stories, but always feeling this kind of uh, passion for, for creating stories in that way. And that if he just held on to that, everything was going to work out. Mm. You know, if, if, you know, if you just kind of, of hold, you know, sustained his desire to do that, you know, that somehow it would, uh, it would get him to where he wanted to go. And I think one of the great things, um, you know, uh, about the long goodbyes, it, it does that, you know, it kind mm. of, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, you think, oh God, this might ramble into who knows what, you know, as, as Elliot goes out to, as Marlowe to get the cat food. I mean, maybe this is, and yet it, it does uh, through all these uh, different characters and, and uh, situations find itself uh Actually, as you say, it has a real spine. It really uh, holds together. And and there's a kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's also the demonstration of his uh, uh, a certain ethic that he brought to, to filmmaking. Yeah. And that, again, that, that opening scene that is just this like long, unhurried 
interaction with his cat that is with a cat right and it's uh, uh, like automatically setting the tone and very relatable someone just like kind of talking to their pet and being like yeah 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 hold on i'm getting it for you it's fine um but all of that stuff it just goes on forever but it doesn't feel like it's taking up a lot of your time it's entertaining it's engaging and it's like what is going to happen from this rather than ugh what is going on right and and uh you know it's i can't help thinking that when they, when the cat jumped up on his shoulder they must have been like <laughs> okay you know all right you know this is the way to, this is the way to go this is going to work out yeah yeah <laughs> Um, I think, uh, the cat moment is a, uh, a, a perfect place to, uh, to end here. Um, this has right. been absolutely fantastic. I've, I've, uh, really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for making time for me. So have I, Adam. Thank you. All right. Take, take care. care. See you. Bye. Bye. That was so much fun. Thanks again to Richard for talking to me. His latest film, Ajila Khan, will be available on video on demand on May 10th. And that's all I've got for you this week. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Spark Parade on every single platform you can imagine. And then just sit patiently and wait until I release a new episode next week. It's pretty simple, really. Uh, have a lovely week. Hope you have unbelievable amounts of fun. And until next time, bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.